I should like to look at some of the characters who come and go in the story of David. And this evening we're going to look at the story of Abner. And would you please turn to Second Samuel chapter 2, commencing to read at verse 4. Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 4. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Verse 8. But Abner the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Ishbosheth Saul's son was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel and he reigned two years but the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Chapter 3 Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Verse 17 And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, Ye sought for David in time past to be king over you. Now then, do it. Verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Verse 32. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters, as a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. Verse 38. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Shall we pray? Gracious God, our Father, we do ask as we consider the story of this man that you will suit a lesson to our hearts. And it might well be that some here this evening who are strangers to the Lord Jesus Christ, in a special sense, may hear the message, the story of Abner and learn by thy Holy Spirit's teaching where they stand in relation to the Lord's anointed. And so speak, we pray thee in the stillness while we wait on thee, and hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Abner, of course, was the commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Israel 
in the days of King Saul. He was the king's cousin, which may explain why he attained and how he managed to hang on for so long to such a high rank in the kingdom, because he doesn't seem to have been very much of a general. True enough, in his master, King Saul, there was little enough to inspire him in matters military. For Saul, giant of a man as he was in personal physique, towering head and shoulders above the people, had neither the imagination nor the courage to be much of a fighting man himself. I suppose really Abner should have been a gentleman farmer rather than a general. He seems to have been a somewhat well-disposed individual, streaked with a dash of personal ambition in later years, somewhat over-trusting of his fellow men and a bit of a bungler so far as his profession went. He was one of the inner circle of Saul's administration. He was what we would call today a member of the cabinet. And it says something for his influence with the king that despite several incidents which reflect very unfavorably upon his ability to command, he was not only kept on as commander-in-chief of the army, but he sat in high honor at the table of King Saul. But with so many of these people who come and go in the story of these olden times, it is in his relationship to David that Abner is best brought into focus. And the question that we ask ourselves again and again as we read the stories of these people is this. What did this person do with David? What was his attitude to the Lord's anointed? And after all, is that not the important question that we have to ask ourselves today? It is not so much our relationship within the domestic circle that counts the most at last. It's not our success in the business world, nor our religious and our political and our social affiliations. What's going to count at last is not so much how much education we had. The all-important issue that is going to be weighed when all our days are done and we are called to stand before God is the issue what have I done with Jesus with great David's greatest son what has been my real relationship to him and how have I behaved during the years of my sojourn on this planet, how have I behaved towards the Lord's anointed? 
And what place has he really had in my heart's affections? For when all of life is over and my days on earth are done, God isn't going to ask me how much money I made. And I don't suppose he's even going to ask me how many times I went to church. He's going to ask me what I did with Jesus. The story of Abner divides into three parts. We are told in the opening chapters of his life how he fought David. And then we are told why he fought David. In that last glorious chapter we are told what he bought David. Now in those early years, Abner was all for King Saul. And King Saul was the avowed enemy of David. In those days, you see, it was not possible for a man to be all for King Saul. And at the same time to have very much love for David. Because King Saul detested David and did everything that he could to fight David's claims to the throne. Mind you, it was not that David ever took up arms against Saul. That was not David's way. The weapons of David's warfare in those days were not carnal. Although in the end they were mighty through God to the point pulling down of strongholds. And David never answered Saul's furious hatred with matching malice and spite. He always answered Saul's enmity with kindness and with patience and with tenderness and with grace. Why, there was that time, for example, you remember it so well, when King Saul was sound asleep. And so was his general, if you please. And circumstances placed King Saul squarely in the hands of David. And all it was going to take was a single blow, and Saul would have been dead and damned. But David held his hand. For he took no pleasure in the death of a man, not even a man like Saul. It was in David's character in, and in David's heart to much rather have a man for his friend than his enemy, even a man like Saul. That was David. And isn't that just like our Lord? Why, when wicked men took him and nailed him to a cross, he, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the center of heaven's attraction and the altogether lovely one, the chiefest among ten thousand, and the one whom angels worship 
why those iron bolts of Rome could have become thunderbolts in his hand and he could have hurled them across the world. He could have come down from that cross and stamped back the high hills of Judah and turned to blood the waters of the seven seas. He could have called for twelve legions of angels who at that very moment with drawn swords were straining across the battlements of heaven. He could have ushered in Armageddon 2,000 years before its time. There they were poised, those straining eager angel hosts, waiting to descend like a lightning flash and purge this world of a race of wicked men who had so treated God's eternal Son. To think that they had crucified, that they had crucified the Lord of glory, but that was not his way. His way was to suffer and to bleed and to die and to give his back to the spider and his cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. His way was to allow men to spear his side and thus to open a fountain for uncleanness in Jerusalem to wash away the stains of human sin. And by weakness and defeat, he won the need, the crown, trod all his foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. And that was how centuries before David treated Saul. And yet Saul refused to repent. He went on fighting David, and the more David forgave him, the more he fought him. Until at last, as you turn the pages of the first book of Samuel, you see that the whole life of Saul becomes one mad crusade to hit out of David. And since David was ever and always beyond his reach, Then to hit out and hurt anybody who loved David. Even members of his own family. And all this Abner knew. And he was party to the whole wretched business. For in those days you could not be on both sides. You could not serve David and Saul. Abner served Saul and he fought against David. And it's the same way still. The word of the Lord Jesus comes echoing down the ages. He says, he that is not for me is against me. Nobody can sit on the fence so far as Jesus is concerned. We either cast in our lot with him in active partnership or by silent consent we join those who have rejected the Lord. And so the great question that we ask ourselves afresh this evening is this. Are we for him 
or are we fighting him? And so Abner spent the first part of his life fighting David and everything that David stood for. And then something very important happened in his life. It was, a, it was really an act of God dealing with Abner in sovereign grace. King Saul died. And with the death of Saul there was removed a major obstacle to Abner's taking side with David. And God, in sovereign grace to Abner's soul, allowed Saul, with his baneful influence over Abner's life, to be removed. And now the great question is, what will Abner do? The man who so long has influenced him and dominated his decisions and had the molding part in his character and caused him for so long to fight against the Lord's anointed. That man has been stricken down and removed. And now Abner can make his own choice, free of the influence of Saul. But you know, so deep is the natural animosity of the human heart towards the Lord's anointed. The father come and submit to David on David's terms. Abner must needs find a substitute in his life for Saul. He finds a son of Saul, a man by the name of Ishbosheth a weakling of a man. A man whom he can set up as a puppet king and whom he can manipulate to his heart's content. That's the only kind of sovereignty he wants in his life. He doesn't mind having a king like Ishbosheth, whom he can rule. He doesn't want a king like David whom he must obey. He's not going to have David. David with his absolute demand, his call for a complete surrender, and his insistence on being approached on his own terms. He would rather have Ishbosheth, a weakling of a man whom he can bend and shape as he will. And so Abner spent the greater part of his life fighting David. But there came a time in the story of Abner when he laid down the arms of rebellion and went completely over to David's side. The 
came a time in Abner's history when, if we may borrow a New Testament concept and import it into an Old Testament story, there came a time when he was converted to David. And I'm interested, aren't you, to find out what it was that happened in this man's life. This man who had fought David. Why was it that he fought David? An examination of the story will reveal three reasons why Abner was finally won over to David. We discover, first of all, that he became disenchanted with the results of the life he was living. He became disenchanted with the results of the life he was living. The Old Testament is very explicit about this. We are told that there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And there came a time, you see, in Abner's experience when he had enough common sense to sit down and say, well, where is my life leading anyway? Where is it going to end? It's quite obvious that I'm not going to win. He found that for all his efforts, fighting David in the end was turning to be a very unprofitable kind of life. He was getting weaker and weaker and David was getting stronger and stronger. And he discovered to his dismay that the years were swiftly fleeting away and time, really, time was on David's side, not on his. And he became disenchanted with the results of the life he was living. Now that's bound to be the experience of any intelligent person, sooner or later. Any person who will stop and honestly think about the trend of his life and where it's leading and where it's going to end if he's spending his life fighting the Lord's anointed, he is going to discover that he is getting weaker and weaker. And the Lord is getting stronger and stronger. You see, fighting against the claims of Christ is a losing battle. God has so constituted human life that in the end, time is on his side. And he always wins in the end. Napoleon once said of England, England loses every battle except the last. 
And it often happens in a human being's personal life history that it seems as if God loses battle after battle after battle in that person's life, but he never loses the last one. Because time is on his side. And if God allows you your full span of life, what is going to happen is this. You are going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And in the end, you're going to die. And you're going to find that he does have the last say. And you've lost. And so Abner became disenchanted with the results of the life he was living. He wasn't getting anywhere. He wasn't winning. He was losing. And it became increasingly evident. Whatever he looked in his life, he was fighting in a wrong course and he was losing. His years were slipping away. There he was, still fighting David. And losing. But he not only became disenchanted with the results of the life he was living, we are told that he became disgusted at the rottenness of the king he was crowning. He discovered before very long that Ishbosheth was a very ungrateful master. Here, he had given King Saul and King Saul's weakling son the very best years of his life. And in payment, Ishbosheth accused Abner of improper behavior with a woman of the house of Saul. It opened Abner's eyes in a hurry. It came home to him in a flash that he was spending his strength in a rotten cause. And that everything for which he had struggled and schemed was in actual fact false and foul. And he was spending his life in a wrong cause. He had enthroned the wrong king. He was serving an evil end. And the shock of it turned his thoughts towards David. And it led to his immediate conversion. Oh, you know, the Bible has to say a lot about the rottenness of the king you are crowning. If Jesus is not your Savior and your Lord, and he'll let you down in the end, and he'll blacken your name, and he'll laugh you into hell. But there was a third reason why Abner sought David. 
not only because he was disenchanted with the results of the life he was living, not only because he was disgusted with the rottenness of the king he was crowning, but oh, I think most of all because there came a time in Abner's life when he seriously started to think about things. When he was disarmed by the royalty of the one he was opposing. The more he thought about David, the more he realized that David was indeed his rightful king. By David was every inch a king. Saul and this Bosheth were not worthy to be compared, even remotely with David. Oh, he said to himself, Oh, what beauty there is in David's person. How could I have been so blind all these years? Abner could remember the very first time he'd met David. It was in the tent of Saul. It was that day that David, as a young lad, had slain Goliath of Gath. And there he had stood in the presence of Saul, and the Holy Spirit tells us he was ready and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And Abner says to himself, looking back over the years, oh, he says, how could I have been so utterly and completely and abysmally blind? Oh, what beauty there is in David's person. He's the altogether lovely one. He's the cheapest of men. One ten thousand, he's the fairest of the fair. How blind I've been all these years. You know, that's a real mark of the work of the Holy Spirit in a sinner's heart. When his eyes are opened, and he no longer sees the Lord Jesus as a root out of a dry ground, without form nor comeliness. But when suddenly his eyes are opened and he sees beauty in the person of Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful person he is. And then I see Abner as he's thinking this thing through for the first time. In his life, he's always blindly fought David. Now he's thinking about it. Not only does he say to himself what beauty there is in David's person, but he says, oh, what blessing there is in David's presence. And he begins to think of all those whom he had known personally, men who had come to David and had been transformed by him. Oh, there were so many in Israel. In those days when Saul was rampaging across the nation, like the demon-possessed man that he was, so many in debt, so many discontented, so many in distress, 
One by one, they slipped away and cast in their lot with David and become David's mighty man. Why to know David was to love him. Abner thought of the love that Jonathan had always borne for David. He thought of David's grace. He thought of David's gifts. He thought of David's godliness. And he thought of those who had come to David had been transformed by their conversion to the Lord's anointing. And he goes on thinking about this. And he says to himself, yes, oh, there's such beauty in David's person. I've been so blind to it. And there's such blessing in David's presence. How could I have been so foolish all these years? And oh, what brightness there is in David's prospect. You see, David was going to be king, and Abner couldn't stop him. It had been written in the councils of God from a past eternity that David was to be king. And nothing in earth or hell could prevent it. Abner could see it now. Couldn't see it before. Already thousands upon thousands of knees in Israel had bowed to him. There were multitudes in Israel who owned David as their personal saviour and as their lord. There was many a faithful heart who already owned David King. Well, says Abner to himself, they're right and I'm wrong. And I've been wrong all these years. What a fool I've been. He says, I'm going to go and join them. I'm going to seek out David for myself. And I'm going to come to David, I'm, I'm going to lay down at David's feet my arms of rebellion. That's why he sought David. He was sick and tired of the life he was living, and he saw something of beauty in the king, the Lord's anointed, whom so many were crowded. Oh, what a blessing it would be, wouldn't it? If there would be someone here tonight who would do just the same for great David's greater son. Oh, what a foolish way to spend your life. Fighting the Lord Jesus. Because you can't win, can you? You're going to get weaker and weaker. And he's getting stronger and stronger. Time is on his side. One day Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. Oh, yes. He's going to win. If you won't accept him as your savior, you'll accept him one day as your judge. What a blessing it would be if you'd come and join him, if you'd lay down your arms of rebellion, if your eyes could be opened by the Holy Spirit to see beauty in the man of Calvary, if you could learn what blessing there is in being with him, and see that the future belongs to him and to those who belong to him.
future's on their side. In fact, eternity's on their side. But there's one other thing about Abner, and it's the best thing of all, I think, don't you? We're not only told how he fought David, and we're not only taught, told why he sought David, but we are told what he brought David. Oh, it's so lovely what happened. First of all, he came to David himself. That's so important, isn't it? You can't come to Christ in a crowd. You've got to come to him by yourself. And then having come to David by himself and personally accepted David as his Lord and changed sides. Why, he went back and he brought a whole nation to David. He preached one of the most wonderful little sermons in the Old Testament. He went to the men of Israel to the ten tribes and he said, You sought in time past for David to be king over you. Now then, do it. What a lovely little sermon. And they did. 800,000 fighting men of Israel and their wives and their children came to David because of Abner's conversion. You know, Abner never lived to see it. He was foully murdered by Joab before that sermon of his ever bore any fruit. But it did bear fruit after his death, and he gets the credit for it. What an example that is. Just to think... Perhaps God is waiting for you to come to Christ. If you've never come to him before, then he wants you to go back to your crowd and bring them to Christ. And you might be the only person that could reach that particular crowd. You know, Abner was killed by Joab. Perhaps tomorrow night or the night after we'll take up Joab and look at him. Abner was murdered by Joab. And when David heard what had happened to Abner, he gave a wonderful testimony to him. Before all the assembled hosts of the nation, before the people of God, he says, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel. You see, Abner had confessed David before men. And now David confesses Abner publicly before all the assembly of the people of God. My Bible tells me that if any man will stand up 
and be counted for Christ. But one day, Christ will stand up and be counted with him. And if any man will speak well of Christ now, Christ one day will speak well of him in the crowning day that's coming. By and by. What about it? Why he fought David. Why he sought David. And what he brought David. Shall we pray? Gracious God, our Father, we do thank thee for the story of this man. And of sovereign grace or sin abounding to reach down and touch and transform the heart of a man who had spent so many years in open hostility to the Lord's anointed, deliberately taking sides in the wrong cause. Oh, we pray that perhaps someone here this evening who has misspent his or her life in such a way, leaving Christ out, fighting against his claims. Oh, that they might realize tonight they can't win. What beauty there is in David's person, in the person of the Lord Jesus. What blessing there is in, that, in his presence. What brightness in his prospects. Grant, Lord, we pray, that there might perhaps here even this evening be someone who will say, just as I am, I come. For we ask it in his name. Amen.